That's a really cool Formula One race, though. Yeah. All right, well, I'm an idiot. Well, he's not into Formula One. <laughs> I guess not. Yeah. No, it's okay. Say it, Dan. Yeah. Let's give up at this point. <laughs> I'll say it, then. You're an idiot. Thanks. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast, and you have your solid trio together once again. Hi, my name is Peter, and joining me, uh, the happiest man in all of England. Goodness, he gets to brag for the entire podcast all he wants. He gets all the rights. All the way from Luton Town, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. Hi. I'm very happy in bragging about it. All four teams in the two European championships are from your motherland. You've got to be just beside yourself. I couldn't care less, in all honesty. Really? Yeah, not not a big... The Premier League ruined English football. I'm, not, I'm over it. You're not the first person. You may be the first person I met that I started to understand this from, but as I've gotten to know more English people... I am diving into this whole, I don't know what you call it, genre of people who are from England and really hate the Premier League uh, because of how much it's changed the sport in the country, in, in, in your eyes for the worse, uh, due to the money and all of that stuff and all the things that it's changed and how that's trickled down to the smaller clubs. Uh, so you've, uh, you've kind of uh, exposed that, that side of it to me, Dan, so thank you for that. I feel honored. For context of anyone else, it's kind of like those USL fans that don't like MLS because MLS makes its own rules and tells US soccer what to do. It's actually exactly the same relationship. Of course, we also have uh, founder and co-editor of thirddegree.net, your definitive resource for all things FC Dallas Burn, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter, calling in today from the House of Blues in Dallas, where I'm about to watch the Colt bring the house down. Well, we appreciate get out before the roof comes down. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate you making time to do this today, Buzz. Since you're now going to go see the '80s butt rock band, The Cult, for the fifteenth time in your life, so congratulations. Yeah. I'm I'm hyped, uh, guys. I don't, you know, after what now seems to be four of uh, four consecutive days of soccer's greatest hits. Uh, asking everybody to sit down and do some FCD talk feels a little bit like a bummer, I think, but that's what we're here to do. FC Dallas 1, Houston 2. Um, Buzz, is it just me, or has Lucci Ball uh, soured into Lucci Boring? Well, the first half was a little bit of that. Uh, I think the second half got much better, and we got back to the Lucci Ball that we expected um, you know, statistically speaking, at the end of the game, we for sure were looking at Lucci Ball. We were looking at uh, 89% passing accuracy, 64% possession, 56 duels won, 600 total passes. I mean, that's Lucci Ball. And for it to have reached that in the second half uh, with the better play shows you that they still are playing the same way, even on the road. Now, granted, Houston was up 2 nothing, but... You know, it, it was effective and working, and it got them back into the game. Now, we have the same problem we've had for all of this season, which is uh, possession without purpose, right? We're not yet seeing 
the adequate play in the final third. And Lucci knows that's the case. It's one of the things he talked about on Wednesday was uh, how excited he is for the next phase of this club's progression, which is continuing to develop uh, in terms of what they're doing with the ball in the final third, ways to get behind the defense, way to split the lines, skip the lines, be more aggressive. So it's a work in progress, but um, I think it's still around, and I think Lucci Ball's still around, and I think that uh, there will be some tactical situations where they will sit in a deep block, but then there's going to be others where it's going to be back. Um, specifically, the press has not been as good as uh, we would all any of us like it to be. That's another thing Lucci has mentioned is being something that's been good in spurts, but not continuously and not effectively over time. So still a lot of work to do, but we've been talking about how this season was going to be a building and learning season with a new coach and a young team and a young coach for that matter. Uh, All right. But, some here, time, but, so. but, but before you spin off into a whole bunch of different talking points, the thing I want to drive into is, yeah, the team looked better in the second half, but I'm not a hundred percent convinced you couldn't make an argument. That wasn't because Wilbur Carrera, uh, Cabrera, uh, Cabrera, uh, decided to go all defensive flopped and um and and you know Lucci made a small adjustment with Arangis and that seemed to help but I'm not convinced that the changes in the game had more to do with Houston going defensive than it had anything to do Dallas was doing well they didn't go defensive till the 88th minute well Dallas didn't score until the 97th minute or whatever sure but <laughs> scoring isn't necessarily what we were talking about with Lucci ball you know the entire second half was different Entire second half was more aggressive. The entire second half was better. Yeah, but much more of the ball. So it's like they didn't score till the end. That's fair. Yeah, but maybe I, they wouldn't you, have scored. Could you make an the, argu- I mean, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at the stats. But did they put a significant number of shots on goal uh, in the second half before Houston went all? Defensive? No, but that's not what the question was. The question was. Uh, is Lucci Ball gone and we with boring soccer? And the answer is no, it's not gone. Well, now, but I no, also hold on, wait all... a sec, wait a sec. Now, I, 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 don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying Lucci Ball has gone uh, into Lucci boring in the first half of Houston. I'm talking as we go all the way back to the Atlanta game and the games prior to that. You know, we're running through a string of results, even in the two games that they won. Uh, uh, several weeks ago, where the team was not playing Lucci ball. They were playing defensive-minded soccer. I mean, I literally can't tell you the last time I saw this team come out in high press and, and play possession and do what we what we saw them do early in the season. And maybe the last time I could definitively tell you I saw it was in the first seven minutes of the game in Atlanta. They score that goal, um, and then they quit doing it. And I don't think I've seen it since then until maybe the last 15 minutes of the of the Houston game. Well, uh, that's two games. I mean, they 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 did it for half of for or some in Atlanta. They they played pretty good against uh, Portland, if I remember correctly. Um, they for sure did it in the second half of this game. Now they haven't. It's not, still not effectively scoring. But I would contend it's only been a couple of games or even a ha- couple of halves that we've seen this. I don't. I think they're a long way from it being gone. The bigger issue, and I think what you're picking up on, is. Um, when their hand has been forced with Paxton missing or before when Acosta was missing, when they ended up with a three-man midfield of uh, – so that wouldn't be when Acosta was missing, excuse me. Just when Paxton's been missing, you're because of Grezzo, Cerillo, and Acosta, which is three players that are too similar. So that's diffusing some of your attacking excitement and your flair, and it's diffusing some of your connectivity to the front line. So that's clearly a problem, and I think it's a problem that they've identified, and we're going to talk about that again later, but – um, 
I think that's what you're seeing is the death of Lucci ball is really just the fact that they had three players that are too similar and too defensive in the middle of the field for the last two games since Paxson's been missing. Well, let, let me, let me just uh, clarify what I'm talking about. So I'm going all the way back to the Philadelphia game where they were very defensive in that game and completely gave up possession as, as uh, Philadelphia dominated them. The exact same thing happened when they returned home to play against uh, Portland where they were uh, woefully defensive and got very lucky to win that game. Then they went to Atlanta and maybe they did it a little bit f- until they scored the opening goal and then it went all uh, soft-sided there and then they had the game against San Jose where I mean goodness I mean I to be fair there you know San Jose's playing that wackadoodle format you know tactic uh, that didn't help Dallas very much and then for the majority of the Houston game it was very similar so uh, you know I'm not trying to pin I'm not trying to be alarmist and say that I saw Lucci Ball disappear in the last game or so this goes back to uh, the beginning of April, at least from what I'm seeing. Am I, am I wrong in seeing it? I mean, I, you're certainly entitled to your opinion on that. I disagree with you. I don't think the Portland game was that way, and I don't think the San Jose game was that way. I think Atlanta was, yes, and I think the first part of the Houston game was, but the second half certainly was not. So really, it's just the Portland game when they were shorthanded and missing bodies and had to start Thomas Roberts, of all people. The Atlanta game where Atlanta outpossesses everybody else in the league by a vast margin. San Jose did some crazy crap, but Dallas still tried to play the way they wanted to play and ended up trying to resort to long balls because of the way they compressed and didn't allow them to build out. But they still tried to play the same way. They just couldn't get it out of the back smoothly. Hmm. So really, it's only been a couple of games, and it's been the games where they've been shorthanded and missing people and had cards dealt to them. I don't think overall you're seeing the death of it. I think it's just circumstances. Well, I, I didn't say the death of it. I was just asking if it had soured into something. I, I, let me Let me put it this way, and Dan, you can chime in if you agree or not. I have just found the team to be very boring to watch uh, in the last several games of the season, where they were interesting and somewhat exciting to start the season. And I'm and, and while I my expectations for Dallas have never been high, I, I predicted they wouldn't make the playoffs. I've been a little bit surprised that it's gone limp this quickly uh, and early in the season. Yeah. I think it's just situational. Um, you, know, you mentioned Atlanta. You can't go into Atlanta with a high press and, and playing full-on Lucci ball and expect to come away with anything. Um, but they did. That, That's exactly how they got the opening goal. I, I just mean overall, you know. You know, they had to adapt through the game. And, you know, we bemoaned for a few years the Oscars system was he came in, he had his system that he wanted to play, and there was no plan B. I mean, now we're seeing a plan B, and at times plan B is becoming plan A, but you know, at least there's the versatility that everyone's spoken about for several years that we never actually saw. All right, so uh, I'm going to ask both of you guys this question, uh, and it's a nagging question that's been bothering me since the Houston game, which is, can any of us explain how we got to the point where a 19-year-old blonde-haired kid from Farmer's Branch who, by the way, is a homegrown, out-of-the-club's own, own academy, is the only effective attacking tool this roster has to this point? The people of Highland Village are going to be so offended that you called them Farmer's Branch. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a couple of things happened, of course. One of them is that Arangis has yet to develop and or blossom and or whatever you want to say, become the Mario Diaz replacement. The second thing that happened was Mosquera went from being a team MVP type player in the spring to 
uh, getting a knock and 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 being effective for three or four weeks and and being the kind of player he is, letting it affect him mentally and and coming out of his game and not playing the way he was playing before. And and Barrios is who he is. He's not going to change. He's a vertical guy. So you're left with uh, Acosta, who's a linking type player, and not and, and really you only have one creative attacking difference making player on the field. And that's when you've lost him, you don't have a replacement. That's that's part of what's happening right now. That's diffusing this team and making it look like it's an unsexy, unappealing team. That's perfect. <laughs> I mean, what else can you add to that, really? Thanks, Dan. It's quality analysis uh, from Dan <laughs> Crook. It was quality analysis for a buzz. It was just analysis of the analysis. Yeah, I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we also coming off this episode. I can feel it. Yeah, it is. I could totally tell. Um yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying, Buzz. I guess the point I'm trying to make is is it just – one of it is is totally a compliment to Paxton, right? Uh, yeah. I, I, I never am not uh, impressed when I look out uh, on the field, Paxton playing a uh, you know the critical attacking role on the team, and Pablo Arangis, who you know so many months ago was the next coming of Mauro Diaz, is shoved off somewhere on the left, and you know where they're yeah. ostensibly trying to hide him. Um, and and so I mean this as a compliment to Paxton, but at the same time, I I do find it a little bit worrisome that you know when Paxton goes missing, the team it feels like just deflates and loses any sense of ability to to get into the attacking third of the field whatever i'm trying to say i think there's no question that that's the case i mean you're looking at a roster that is in the middle of a transition from the former coach to the new coach no matter how much lucci and pareja were uh of a similar mind in a lot of ways and lucci cites Pareja as a massive influence on him they're still different guys they still want different teams right you also have to consider that They've got some players like Atuahene and uh, Tuamase who have not panned out that are early draft picks. The That is a difficult position to develop players in. Thomas Roberts, of course, has so much massive potential, but is still just 17. He turns 18 on Saturday. You know, you can't expect him to be a string-pulling, game-changing number 10, uh, you know, when he's three years younger than Paxson. You know, it's just right now this team does not have the pieces or the pieces that it have has, excuse me, haven't developed. So you're left with one guy. I mean, imagine if Paxton hadn't taken a step forward. Where no. would this team be yeah, if, no. his, if his progression hadn't happened? Right? I mean... Yeah, it, w- it, would, it would be miserable, and it would be just... You no, know, and so there, there, that is always better to look at the bright side of this. But we are 10 games into the season, and Dallas is first in possession in its own third and remains last in the league in possession into it in its opponent's third of the field. Yeah. Um, and we just, I think we can all agree that the, uh, attacking part of this, uh, thing that Lucci's trying to figure out is still a long ways off from being consistent and effective on the regular. Well, that's for sure the case, but that's always the case. The defense offense is always harder to do than defense. uh, I think so, uh, you know, individual instinctual offense can happen with magical players. Hence, uh, you know, why Paxton's so successful, but, um, as a team collective, they absolutely have a problem. And they for sure know that, though, as a staff. I mean, that's what, as again, that's what Lucci talked about a lot this week was that's the next phase for us. We have to make progression. And at least they have a base 
of this possession that they can build from and try and get from it. And I know for sure, I know for a fact that they've been looking around a little bit in the market. They know they're missing some deficiencies. They know that they have some problems. I know they're definitely looking around, you know, whether it be the international summer window, which is far away, but even right now they were looking, they were checking things out. Yeah. Nothing happened. Of course. I'm glad you mentioned that because the window did close on Tuesday and I I don't know. Are we surprised that Dallas didn't make any uh, moves to add place, uh, add players, Portland went out and set a transfer record for their club and bringing in the second leading scorer in La Liga in uh, Brian Fernandez from uh, Nicaxa. Uh, The Galaxy went out and got Fabio Alvarez, an attacking midfielder. Seattle went out and signed a former player and a new center back. Colorado went out and got Jonathan Lewis from Red Bulls. And also a center back themselves, and that's just the western half of the yeah. of the league. There's a whole litany of East Coast teams that made massive moves as well, and Dallas didn't do anything other than get rid of Pedroso. And when I look at the roster, when I was looking at it today, dude, it's filled with dead weight. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you you've got you've got um, uh, uh, a tenaway. And Tumasi, who are we ever going to see either one of those guys do anything anywhere? Then you got Christian Coleman, and then you got the misthing of the Cobra, Andresnik, who isn't apparently even good enough to make the reserve team. And I'm starting to wonder did they sign him to some sort of guaranteed contract that they can't get out of? Because by all accounts, he's just sucking air out of the room at this point. They must have. I mean, when I I look at all the deals that happened, they all they all feel like deals that are from you know over the winter for this team and they just sort of all had they had to all, all wait for the player to be done with his season so those are all squeezed in under the wire cuz their other seasons are ending or they left a week earlier or whatever whereas Dallas did all their business back in December with the players they brought in and then had their eye on the summer window which we've known for quite some time because they've been talking about it openly and I know they tried to go out at the last minute and see if they could get some other things but uh, you're right I I don't know officially anything about Cobra and his contract. What I can tell you is that uh, in terms of his amount of playing time he's getting and what he's probably getting paid, we'll have to wait until the union releases all that information. Uh, there must be a guarantee there. I, I can't I can't imagine that there is not or else they would have been tempted to eat that contract right out the gate once we saw him in spring training. In my opinion, Lucci's never said that. Lucci's always very complimental, complimentary of Cobra, just like he was with Pedroso, that damning with praise, right? The, oh, he's got a great attitude. He works hard. I'm not going to complain about a guy like that. Well, his playing time should tell you something. But, you know, it's true that there are a couple of players that, uh, as you mentioned, Coleman getting healthy. He's also got a guaranteed deal. That one we do know. Um, You know, again, this is a roster still in transition with a new coach. He hasn't gotten all the pieces out yet that he wants to get out. And even some of the ones he brought in haven't worked. So, um, you know, they, they, they had a technical director leave. They had uh, another one pass away. Um, they've got new guys in all those positions. Everyone's trying to figure everything out. So it's, I'm not surprised they couldn't get anything done that wasn't already done. December, whatever they're working on is going to happen in the summer. Uh, and your guess are this, as good as mine at this point of what it's going to be. But you're, you're right that they're – Lucci's playing with shorthanded. Plus he's got two open senior roster spots. Forget about just dead weight. He's got two holes that are empty. So – We'll see. 
Uh, all right. Well, I don't mean to be pessimistic, Pete. It just seems like after this last uh, bit of run and and some of the form of the team and the you know missing pieces, Paxton now going to be gone until after the U twenty World Cup, um, and the other pieces that will then follow him along that way, um, uh, it really seems to have will have stretched the roster thin. And at a point where you think they're going to have to start utilizing some of the depth, you start looking at some of those players who have essentially played none at all um uh and you just really begin to wonder if they made some mistakes along the way in building the roster uh at to this point the other thing to remember here's the crazy part i think saturday thomas roberts turns 18 he does it's possible that that kid ends up signing a deal with Bayern munich uh, (laughs) you know and we never see him again in an fc dallas jersey well, it's certainly possible. Uh, I, I I base that only on the fact that they brought him back twice with with Chris Richards. You know, if they hadn't been thinking, oh, this is a guy we want, then when Richards went back for his second ten day stint, they wouldn't have brought uh, Thomas with him again. So, yeah. well, you know that to me, that's like those are all the signs and the fa- and how it happened and how Richards was was then on loan and then signed. Uh, like all the signs of what we know about how these things work point to the fact that they're going to come after him at some point. So is it now? Is it in the winter? <laughs> it will uh, be who knows? Monday, Buzz. <laughs> it, it could be Monday. Yeah, it, it very well could be. It could be at the end of this next season. You know, they're probably not in a rush. He is a playmaker type player. You know, they like to get him into their probably their 19s for a little bit, you know, and see where it goes. But, um, you know, just what we know about how these things work. I mean, the, the signs are all there. It's just it's just a question of time. And in the meantime, he scored a nice goal this weekend for North Texas, and we get to hopefully watch him play this weekend, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right, Dan, um, I'm going to ask you for your uh, thoughts. Was it not just – I don't – I know – I'm trying to figure out what my emotion – my emotional reaction was when I flipped on the television and I saw literally a three-quarters empty BBVA stadium in downtown Houston for a Texas Derby game on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I just, I don't even know how to describe if it was just kind of like I was numb to it or apathetic about it or I was frustrated or like you can have a stadium in the nicest place, but if you aren't doing your business right, nobody's going to care. I mean, that's that's definitely the case. Um, Houston fans are always very keen to uh, point out the lack of marketing presence in, in Houston the same way. FC Dallas fans will always point to, to that in the Metroplex. Um, and similarly, they'll say uh, that when they were at Robertson, they had a good uh, supporter culture going and the front office just kind of said no. Uh, you know, a lot of people will point to the Cotton Bowl and saying that uh, while it wasn't like, while it wasn't full, the, the level of Hispanic support from there was kind of seemingly detracted as the team moved to Frisco. Um, as you say, you can build a, a stadium in downtown, but if no one knows your products there, they're just wondering why there's a giant, horrible orange building. Yeah, I think sometimes people are surprised to find out that that stadium sits in the geographical equivalent of Deep Ellum for Dallas. And not only does it sit in a prime location, it, it literally has a train stop 
in front of the building and it is surrounded by modern apartment buildings and a nightlife scene that's not dissimilar at all from the uptown Deep Ellum area. Uh, and, and, and it just really drives home the point that you could whine and complain about where a stadium is all you want, but at the end of the day, it is really up to the front office to do the work in building the community relationships and all of those pieces, right? I think there's also an element of, uh, you know, location can be key. One of the problems with our location is they picked out this fantastic spot, as you say. It's been developed around really great apartments around it, plenty of bars. There's also an enormous homeless problem around that area, which uh, detracts the families that the two Texas MLS clubs like to target. Um, I've been to a game there myself, and I, um, I actually think it's a fantastic venue. So it's like I, I know what you're talking about. Like that that part of the end is absolutely just like Deep Ellum was, you know, with bars and clubs. And so I, as Dan says, you can you can feel why maybe some family people wouldn't go for it. But you know, I, we've talked about this many a times. The downtown is not a cure all. Dallas, when they were at the Cotton Bowl, averaged eleven thousand people a game, and in Frisco, they averaged fourteen thousand people a game over the all the years they've been there. So. And the and the knock on the Hispanic audience always from the professional level was always that it's a late walk up audience. You know they like uh, clubs, quote unquote. You know not Dallas specifically, but all clubs like season ticket sales. They like advanced sales. They don't want walk up sales. So, you know, I, downtown is not a cure all. There are plenty of people out where Frisco is, and we've talked about this a million times. Yeah, I, I don't mean to devolve into uh, that particular thing. I just. Uh, the fact that stadium is in the prime location that it's at in Houston, in particular, with an entertainment team and with some Latino players, um, yeah. you know, you it really just boggles the mind how badly that front office has screwed that up. Uh, it's it's frankly it's embarrassing, um, and it's just it was uh, really weird seeing that uh, on television last Saturday. Okay, let's get back to the actual stuff on the field. Dallas goes uh, now. They return home uh, on Saturday for a 1 p.m. kickoff off against uh, Red Bull. Now this is interesting because this is one of those weird little stretches and maybe the maybe the oddest stretch of the season that we're about to get into and not necessarily the best time for Dallas in terms of available players. Uh, they have New York on Saturday. Then they turn around and play Thursday in LA against the very, very hot LAFC. And then the weird one, I don't remember the last time this happened with Dallas. They come home three days later and have to play the same team again in Frisco on the 19th. Then they go to Vancouver on the 25th and then return home to play Seattle on the 1st. This is going to be a very telling stretch of games. Yeah, it's a brutal stretch. I mean, the back-to-back, essentially back-to-back LAFC games, and when you include New York, that's three games in eight days. This is the particularly the Thursday next Sunday stretch. Reminds me of that stretch where Shells Hyman went out to L.A. and played basically like a full reserve side in one of the games, um, you know, because and put his money on. I think it was the Open Cup game that was like th- three days later or something. Um, I mean, it was not going to surprise me at all to see a heavy, uh, maybe heavy is the wrong word, to see some level of squad rotation. Uh, going into those games and, and possibly even a complete sacrifice of the Thursday game uh, out in L.A. and just say, we're going to roll out a whole bunch of kids and they're going to learn, you know, because, I mean, that's that's a brutal stretch. And winning in, L- in L.A. against LAFC is tough. 
Um, you know, they're, they're already learning stuff about themselves in terms, of, in terms of how they need to construct the midfield. Paxson's not going to be back to help any of this stuff. Even if he's healthy, he'll be gone. Uh, you might be losing Surreal. You never know pretty soon with the U-20s or Cervania, one or the other with the U-20s probably. So um, it's going to be interesting. It will be a stretch. So let's focus specifically on Red Bull, which is Saturday again at 1 at the uh, at the stadium. By the way, side note, uh, the one silver lining of the fact that the game is a day game uh, and starts at 1 o'clock is that it'll finish at 3, which is right in the middle of uh, our radio show, which is on the ticket, which starts at 2. Uh, Buzz will be calling in after the game just a little bit after 3, and we will do a real-time live FC Dallas postgame show on the ticket on Saturday, just a little bit after three, and that's pretty cool. So there's a little previewing for that. Um, Now, let's see. uh, Red Bulls won their last two. Dallas is not one in their last two. Mm -hmm. Statistically, the two teams are very similar up and down the board. Yeah. But can you name the last time FC Dallas beat Red Bull? Oh, man, I remember this is a trick question. (laughs) No, it's not a trick question. It's not actually a trick question at all. Uh, I think it was, wasn't it at New York like five years ago or something? You're almost right. It was uh, late in the 2013 season at Red Bull uh, was the last time they won one nothing, one nil, and New York has won the next five games since then. Well, yeah, they're a particularly good club in the sense uh, that they have been playing their system now for, what, three years or more, or more, maybe four years now that they've been playing a pretty consistent system and have that system dialed in and know exactly what they're doing. So, you know, when you're going up against a team that's still trying to figure things out, that's a tough ask. I mean, I know it's a home game for Dallas, but you're talking about a good team and Dallas is, uh, you know, again, shorthanded. So uh, uh, they worked a lot this week on winning second balls, which is something New York excels at on, um, you know, pressing and breaking pressing and, and, and winning individual duels and trying to be like, Trying to a lot of individual responsibility stuff. Like you got to win your battle, or we're not going to win the game. Well, what were you saying about um, you know how New York have been that consistent with our style over over the past few years? I mean, this year they're not. They they lost to the Revs a couple of weeks ago. They lost to Montreal last night. Yeah, They've was... been experimenting with a, a back five, and it's not doing so well for them. Yeah, I misspoke. Uh, is, they, I misspoke. They uh, they did lose last night. I my, I didn't update my records. They had uh, beat Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago, and they beat L.A. Uh, at um, at Red Bull Arena three uh, two, and then lost last night to Montreal two one at the at home. By the way, yeah, and if you get to win away this year, um, there was a fun, uh, an interesting stat that came out last night after the uh, after Max Hiruti. Uh, put in that performance. Red Bull have lost two home games all season for like the last seven years. They've lost three of their six home games already. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's oh. a it's a weird uh, twist for them. They are certainly struggling. This is not a typical Red Bull start to the season. Not at all. Yeah, that does not match up with what you think of them in terms of. I mean, they are, they are still in sixth place. Um, they got a lot they, of ties apparently. <laughs> They also, um, you know, they they had Kaku got the suspension after kicking the ball at the oh, SKC yeah. fan. He actually returns for this game. Um, they've had an issue up front. Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips hasn't been great this season. Yeah, um, he's thirty four. Uh, he's dealing with a groin injury, so he's probably out for this game. And they don't have a second choice striker really. 
Oh, goodness. I looked at the wrong New York team. They're 10th. <laughs> wow. I just saw New York and stopped reading. New York Red Bulls, 3, 5, and 2. Yeah, I didn't think they were in sixth place, but uh, yeah, I'm glad you corrected that. That's my that. bad. Goodness. I mean, the East is pretty bad, so it's conceivable, right? Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. It's bad. I'm going so, to have to reevaluate my opinion of New York. Bet Red Bulls at this point. Yeah, so Buzz, how do you feel Lucci goes about uh, correcting what has been ailing this team for the last several weeks? And, um, you know, what, yeah. what what's in store for us here? Well, I think it's pretty clear that um, to anyone that's watched this team, and I've talked about it a little bit when we were talking about Houston, is that the the three-man combo of Grezzo, Cerillo, and, and Acosta is not really working. Uh, and I think that's because uh, Grezzo and Cerillo are too similar. It's basically giving you a team like Oscar played with Grezzo and Uloa. So with without like a Diaz playmaker in front of him, more of a linker in front of him, that's just not working. So... Um, I'm pretty confident um, from talking to some people around around the team uh, that they're that they're aware of that and they kind of. Uh, I think the solution is what happened late in the game against Houston, when they shifted Arangis into the middle as like a pure ten and pulled off uh, Grezzo, and then you ended up with sort of a six eight ten kind of look, which is more like what you had with Paxton. Um, Arangis came to life and started making some connecting passes in the final third for the first time ever, perhaps. It wasn't a lot, but it was only 25 minutes that they played that way. So I'm pretty confident that... And Houston um, was sitting really deep at that point, too, by the way. Who was? Houston was. They were, they were. But um, it certainly was better than it was with the other three guys. So, And I know for sure that they actually looked at Jesus Ferreira as a 10, some in training this week, too. Play there some with the academy. So... Uh, they're definitely looking at an idea uh, on the surface of trying to get what they get from Paxton from somebody. Um, so more of a holding mid, linking mid, 10 kind of profile. I think that it's going to be uh, Cerillo, Acosta, and Arangis. And the reason I say it's that three is because um, there's a chance that Cerillo could be called for the U20 World Cup. We don't know for sure, but he could be with or instead of Cervania. Um, they leave like May 23rd is the start of that tournament. So you'd guess probably that it might even be a week before that. So it might even be more like next weekend that they could be gone. So the other part of that equation is that uh, Grezzo goes to, if he gets called for Copa America, that's not till the middle of June. So I think that uh, when you combine that with the fact that Grezzo's got a tiny bit of a little something he's working through, he can play, he's fine, but it's like Wait, a little what, bit what of What do you stuff. mean a tiny, what do you mean he's Well, working? one of those little physical, you know, little tightness kind of things, you know, that players get in the middle of the season, you know, where he's may, maybe occasionally stepping out of training a little bit, you know. It's not a big deal. He's not hurt. I'm not saying that. But it's kind of like when, you remember like three weeks ago when, or was it a month ago when Hollingshead had a little tightness and they just sort of gave him like half a session off. That's, that's where Grezzo is. So um, when you combine all that together and then you combine the fact that you got these three games in eight game days, I think that you're going to see Cerillo with Grezzo getting a day off uh, squad rotation wise. We already know Barrios is gone from his suspension, so he's out. So to replace him, they looked at Ryan Hollingshead as a right wing because they don't want to lose uh, the verticality of Barrios. They don't want to put somebody in there that's going to play laterally. They want the end-to-end kind of play, which is something Hollingshead can do, as opposed to, say, putting 
Orangis on the right wing, for example, which is <laughs> would be terrible. But and Roll- and Holland's head and uh, Barrios are so similar in every way, shape, and form, physically and personality wise. I, I, nobody will notice the difference. <laughs> nobody will notice the difference. Yeah, totally different people, but of course, but at least at least Holland's head can give you some of that verticality. There really isn't a lot of other options. I mean, there's not another player on the roster that has that kind of verticality. Certainly Cobra doesn't. Coleman of Healthy doesn't. Jesus Ferreira doesn't play that way. You know, as much as we like Jesus, he's not a vertical player. So, you know, they're trying to find a body on that side. Um, the way Mascara played when he came in at the end of the game and the way he's been training, uh, Lucci actually told me that he thought that Mascara's training this week was some of the best all year. So um, I'm, I'm feeling confident that you're going to look at uh, – Either Baji or Freya up top, and it might actually be Baji because when you score, you get an opportunity, right? So that was one the of those most two Baji, guys. That was the stereotypical Baji yeah. goal ever, if there ever was one. No and time scored, to think about it. Tap yeah. it in from two yards out. Uh, that's classic he scored, Baji. He scored bags of those goals in the preseason, so that that's the goal we thought we were going to see tons of. So anyway, either him or Freya at the ten, at the nine. Excuse me. Uh, I think Mascara left a good chance as Hogshead right. Um, and then you're going to get, I think you're going to get Rangi's, uh, Acosta and Cerillo in the midfield. And that leaves you with John Nelson at left back. I love Retzo it. Ziegler, uh, um, Hedges and Cannon and Jesse Gonzalez. Now, the reason I say John Nelson and not Brisson is that I think there's a good chance that Brisson is possibly ready. He, he looked pretty good moving this week in practice. Technically he's still listed as out, but that's, the IR list is a couple of days old at this point. I mean, they've got a Tua Hene on there, and he's cleared. So um, I think there's a good chance Bresson could be able, but why not wait one more game, let Nelson have a game when you're feeling pretty good about the rest of your defense and the rest of your midfield. And then if you need a Bresson, you can bring him back out in L.A., and he can maybe play a couple of games And when you have this load of games. So that's the lineup I'm. I think you're going to see. Uh, there's definitely some question marks at, in that setup, but uh, some also some interesting things that we might get to see going forward, you know. Well, that's a lot, and, and I'm all that's in on John Nelson all the time. I love that kid. I have not seen a minute of anything yeah. he's done that I didn't like. And it does make me wonder. I wonder if Mrs. Hollingshead has ever sold counterfeit tennis shoes on Facebook. Right. You've lost me. I have no idea what you're talking it's about. It's a very, very obscure <laughs> wife of the soccer player joke that only a few people will get. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even get that one. Neither are us of those people. <laughs> Dan, are you drunk or on drugs, or have you not slept in like seven days? You sound even droopier than normal today. I, I, I played the fifth. Have, have you been drinking since all of this goodness has happened to English football? Just water. I don't believe you. You're just not very. You're not very participatory today. What's going on? Uh, good question. Uh, uh, no, uh, bit bit worn out from from uh, playing yesterday and uh, busy day at work. You know all the fun things. All right, we'll move on. All right, guys. The other thing I wanted to make mention of is the other day, uh, the great Matt Doyle, a guy from MLS Soccer that I respect, and I think he's really good at what his job is, was doing a, a Q&A mailbag thing, and somebody asked him about new young coaches, and after a bit, he got to Lucci, and he ended the answer with essentially predicting that he thinks Lucci is going to be, is a future manager of the U.S. men's national team. 
And I thought, even for Matt Doyle, I thought that to be absolutely ridiculously early for a guy that just started head coaching professionals five months ago and has only got 10 games under his belt. It was a it was a weird take. Uh, I know he kind of like included a little line after it, just wanted to get that in before anyone. So maybe it was tongue in cheek, but I mean, his thing is kind of over hyping academy guys, and let's hope he's not moving on to coaches and doing that just ten games into a career. Well, I think if you juxtapose that with the tweet that he put out today, which is Thursday, when we found out just a few hours ago that Brad Friedel had been fired by the revolution, he had some other tweet that I thought was really hard to square the two together with. He was essentially saying, hey, maybe it just, you know, trying to make the jump from U19s to coaching professionals at MLS level is pressure's just too great. And it got to him. And I and I thought, well, wait a second. First off, Brad Friedel's got a far more advanced resume in the sport than Lucci does. Uh, two, it, he actually coached through an entire season in 10 games, albeit with a really crappy record. Uh, how did you, how, how are you making that decision, but at the same time predicting greatness for a guy in Lucci's position, which I'm not trying to disrespect Lucci, but I'm also at the same time, as you said, Dan, I'm a little worn out on people making predictions about things related to FC Dallas that are so premature and we all end up getting disappointed when the things that we all have great hopes for never come true aka Fabian Castillo, Mario Diaz and Kellen Acosta. Well, my my thought about reading that was that if he's talking about how hard it is to make the leap from the academy to the first team and then praises Lucci, obviously he thinks that Lucci has handled that leap and is dealing with it no problem. And maybe that's why he thinks he's a future Yushal national team coach by how quickly he's adapted in such things. I mean, that that's the way I came away from reading that. But I know what you mean about uh, premature hype. And we, we try and, I think, we tongue-in-cheek tongue cheek get him on board sometimes with the hype train on certain players, go the fun of it. But for the most time, we try and keep a level ahead about most of these things. Everyone on this pod and everyone on our website has made predictions for this season uh, with the the fact in mind that you've got a young coach and a young team and a young squad, you know that you're, there's going to be some pains this year, and we all know that. So you know, I, I we're a bit of a pragmatistic sort of mindset around these parts, and uh, so occasionally <laughs> people do get carried away, though. There's I no like question. that new word you just made up, pragmatistic. Pragmatistic. Also, on, also on that note, you can get your Ricardo Pepe L Train Nine shirt at the <laughs> third degree yeah. uh, store thing. <laughs> Well, that's why I say some of some of that is tongue in cheek in terms of I mean the very day that I said we should tap the brakes on Pepe and give the kid a chance to be a, a you know learn to be a pro and be a young player, it was like here's the shirt type train. So you know I mean we're having fun with it. You know uh, that matter of fact that shirt almost makes fun of the people that are going bat crazy about uh, Pepe and, and how insane good he is when you're like dude he's 17 16 whatever the hell he is. Man, oh, Dan, so it's I, a double I mean, meaning like the Huntsman shirt then. Yeah. yeah. Dan I love it when you just you rose from the ashes like a phoenix right there in the pod today. That was fantastic. Good for you. You know. Kudos. Yeah, make sure and get yourself a Pepe Hive turn shirt. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, and then uh, in non-FC Dallas news, uh, we, this is the weekend that we finally get to see, after lots of social media hype, uh, Denton Diablos with their fantastic branding that we love and know so dearly. Uh, and the uh, Vaqueros are back at it uh, this weekend. And I, I think Denton uh, starts off their debut game against uh, Dallas Ty- City. Tyler Dallas. S- I thought they played oh, Dallas crap. SC. Yeah, you're right. I got it backwards. Yeah. yeah. By the way, that's the team that plays in McKinney now. And, yes. Uh, and then who is Vaqueros playing? I think they're the ones that have Tyler. Ah, excellent. So uh, go support your local soccer and, and check that stuff out. Uh, the guys at Denton Diablos in particular have done some really good work online with social media uh, and the way they've been announcing all their, their signings. Um, I know uh, D- uh, somebody wrote a story. Oh, Steve Hunt wrote a story about their first game uh, for us on the blog yep. earlier today. And then, uh, look, everybody, they did it again. Riados from the uh, Pub League, North Texas Premier Soccer Association, uh, they won another U.S. Open Cup game. They did it in Little Rock, and they, they had to do it on PKs, but they certainly had some adversity because I, I think I understand this right. They had flights booked for that morning, but the yeah. rain on Wednesday got the flight canceled, and they ended up having to drive to Little Rock to play in the game. Yeah, they did a last-minute road trip, jumped in vans, and drove up there and probably got there just about in time to play the game, I imagine. I only happened to flip on the game when I saw it went to penalty kicks. i got to say, uh, I was surprised and somewhat um, confused by the, the quality of the stream, multi-camera, play-by-play, and replay uh, for a U.S. Open Cup game in, in nowhere, Arkansas. And it was the same thing across all of those games. So I don't know who's spending the money. I don't know if it's ESPN. I don't know if it's the U.S. Soccer Federation. But that's a, a really interesting investment in that tournament, finally, that hopefully will get it uh, some of the attention that it's long been due. Yeah, the, the U.S. Open Cup is a unique sort of event. We don't really have this kind of competition in other sports in this country. Uh, and if, and if somebody can get on board with it and sell, sell it, uh, as a story and sell it as an entertaining event, you might, you might get something like a sort of, uh, little league world series kind of vibe going with it and get some great stories out of it and some great attention with it. And, and I, I believe it's USSF that is finally getting behind this tournament and trying to build it up. some. I'm really excited about it. I hope they can do some good things with it. I really just uh, I hope as they continue to grow it, they kind of move to uh, actually playing the games on the weekends, uh, particularly for these amateur teams where people are having to take the day off work to go up. Uh, you know, we saw Rayados and uh, Denver FC Denver their flight to Midland uh, got cancelled, so they had to reroute to El Paso and then drive up another four hours. You know, you don't want to see teams pull out because half the players were stuck at work or, you know, because travel plans just weren't possible. Yeah. I think that I'd like to see some conversation for the amateur teams too, some help uh, with the truck. Cause the travel costs can be overwhelming for clubs like Riados if they make a run. Yeah. Riados is a, an amazing that I'm not sure has gotten enough attention considering how many times they've pulled this off their next game. Now they have to go to Oklahoma city and play OKC energy which who they a, upset last year. Who they upset last year and is also a USL pro. Yeah. Is that what it is? Championship, championship, championship. Uh, club. So, um, uh, and, and again, just to make sure everybody understands, Riados is 
is absolutely the epitome of an amateur team. They play in, as I said earlier, the NTPSA, which at one time was the largest men's amateur league in the United States. They had over 5,000 participants, and uh, it was broken up in divisions of open, over 30, over 40, over 50. Um, And I think currently there's like six open divisions. Riados plays in their premier division, their top division. There's probably eight over 30 divisions. There's uh, six over 40 divisions. My pub league team plays in over 40. So they're playing in the same league that I play in, uh, which seems ridiculous. Um, And they continuously uh, achieve uh, well deep into the Open Cup tournament. And nobody will be surprised if they win that game uh, against Oklahoma City next week on the road. Yeah, I mean they're they're complete amateurs and they beat these semi-pro teams and full pro teams uh, last two seasons now and even one time back in 2014. So uh, this is the eighth straight year they've made the tournament, which is a record for the modern era for what they call open division teams, which is amateur teams. So it's uh, they're com- they're consistently beating teams from full-blown semi-professional and professional leagues. It's remarkable. Yeah. Let's just bear in mind that second to that record is only four appearances. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a crazy record. It is. Now, in today's uh, edition of Yelling at Clouds, my one recommendation to the kids from Riados is that when somebody loans you their locker room, you don't celebrate by putting on their football helmets and running around with your shirt off. I thought that probably wasn't the abeckful <laughs> use of uh, of somebody's personal space, but... Again, I didn't just win an uh, Open Cup game, so maybe I'm just an old fuddy-duddy. No, I had the same thought you did. All right. Well, uh, Buzz and Dan, thank you again for your time. Buzz, uh, uh, enjoy your Dad Rock show tonight. Dan, I hope you uh, recover from whatever uh, drunken stupor you clearly are in at this point. I haven't had a drink in a couple of days, actually. But thanks for the suggestion. All right. Well, so uh, FC Dallas on Saturday. We will be back next week. Thank you, uh, FC Dallas fans, for listening to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Happy birthday, Thomas Roberts. (laughs) Please don't leave by Monday. It was nice having you here. (laughs) 